0: You're listening to the Accordion to Me podcast with Veronique Medrano. On this week's episode, we get to chat with one of the most iconic faces and voices of Tejano and Mexican regional music, Bobby Pulido. He gives us the truth behind his hit song Desvelado, provides a deeper understanding of his friendship with Selena and addresses the rumors of his sexuality along with other major events that impacted his life and career in the music industry. As some of you know, early in 2020, I was in an accident. The consequences that you have to live with after can be a lot. You can lose your car, you can lose work, and therefore money, and you can, of course, be super injured and have huge hospital bills to pay. No bueno. So if, like me, you've been the victim of an accident, you need a professional to help you get the care you need. In case of an accident, you need a lawyer to protect your rights and your wallet, And you don't have to look any further than that simple phrase by going to the URL incaseofanaccident.com for a free consultation 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if the person that suffered the accident wasn't you, but maybe it was your tia or your abuelita or something, don't worry, everyone at In Case of an Accident speaks Spanish. They can even take messages through WhatsApp at 888-990-0911. So if you or a loved one have suffered through a horrible car accident like me, visit the team at incaseofanaccident.com for more help. Just don't forget to tell them that Veronique Medrano from Accordion to Me sent you. Hi, everybody. My name is Veronique Medrano and you are on the Accordion to Me podcast where me and my guests talk about different subjects, life, art and just everything according to them. And on my show today is... Somebody that I definitely admire, not only for their talent, but also for their chingonness, as I like to call it, Bobby Pulido. And uh, hey, Bobby, so how are you doing today? You were talking about the situation with the off and that you stained your shirt. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that.
1: <laughs> well, like, uh, you know, we had some severe rain, flooding and all kinds of stuff, and so now uh, we're getting attacked by mosquitoes here in Edinburgh. And uh, so uh, before I came over here to this room to do this podcast, I sprayed myself with off. I didn't realize that off stains your clothes. So I was all stained. And right now I was trying to wet a towel to try to get it off. No pun intended. Get off off. <laughs> yeah. You see what I did there, right? But uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, that's the thing like, with my Represent Edinburgh shirt got this deal so I think you're in Brownsville I'm here in, in Edinburgh
0: yes yes and I, I was gonna say um Edinburgh is is your hometown and if I'm correct you know you and your family have, have lived in pretty much Edinburgh most of your life when did you kind of move out of Edinburgh because that's kind of an interesting story you were in Edinburgh for all your life and then you you went to Mexico and I always find that aspect of of your story uh, so interesting because Coming from the Valley, do you feel like that, that allowed you a little bit of an edge when it came to, to going into Mexico and moving your career that way?
1: Not really. Um, I'm born and raised here in Edinburgh, got married many, many moons ago to my first wife. Uh, we actually lived in Mission. I was married for 17 years. I got divorced. After that, I decided to go change it up a little bit. And I, lived, I lived in Miami for, for two years. And then from Miami, I moved to Mexico City early on. You know, the plan was never to to be a Mexican artist or to or to infiltrate that market. Um, It just kind of happened. I believe that if you make a music that people like, they will find it eventually. And the way they found my music and discovered my music in Monterrey was I was hitting here in Texas. And the DJs at the time, they came over to to the valley from Monterrey to see what was being played here, took Desvelado to the club scene. And that's how I got discovered because I was signed to e- EMI Latin in the US and Mexico didn't even know who the hell I was. So, so they start people start calling the radio station asking for Desvelado and the radio station's like, I don't know who this guy is. So the radio stations start asking around like, who's Bobby Pulido, who's Bobby Pulido? And finally, they found out that the sister label in Mexico said, Well, he's with our American counterparts. And uh, so they said, Well, we need to bring him. By that time, Desolado had already been banging for a long time amongst the people. You know, they like they say always, right? The best form of uh, promotion is word of mouth. And that's basically how it spread. And uh, so then they said, Okay, you got to come. And I'm like, Oh, Jesus. I was so intimidated because I didn't know Spanish. And I said, oh, man, and and it was rough because that that media, they're tough. And so, you know, I just buckled down and kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing interviews, trying to get better at my Spanish. And um, now, 26 years later, (laughs) I can fluently speak it. And uh, my wife is Mexican. She's from Mexico City. And uh, so that's basically how I ended up going over there. Once it started going, once I went to Monterrey and I saw the way the people were reacting, you know, to a lot of Tejanos, uh, Mexico is Monterrey, but it's not. It's just one city. Monterrey is like an extension of Tejano music to a certain degree. But I said, well, why not the rest of it? I actually went to go gig over there and I found out why not, because it was really tough. And so, you know, you, you go from being really famous here and everybody knows your music and everybody knows who you are to going to a city over there, and I'll never forget, Leon Guanajuato, and people were looking at me like, I was like, who's this guy? I mean, just, <laughs> and there weren't even that many people. So
0: they pretty much looked at you like you were, you were literally like their next door neighbor trying to sing karaoke. Like, who is this dude?
1: <laughs> like, what is he doing? I was an unknown guy. I was a beginner, I mean, to them. And that's okay, though. I, I, I'll never forget that I went, and, and, and I went for very cheap, very cheap. Because, I mean, I went for basically expenses because I said I have to go and plant my seed and, and get them to know who I am. Because, you know, growing up around my dad and my dad, you know, Roberto Pulido, who's I, I would say is a pioneer in this music. I grew up with that whole deal. So you go and you, you, you kind of start seeing that the markets, Texas is big, but it's not that big not when it when it comes to touring. So if you if you're lucky enough to to, to be able to tour Texas, you're going to find out real quick that you're going to repeat a lot of those markets within 2 to 3 months. If if you're touring uh consistently and it burns you out. People get tired and it's just uh it's not a it's not healthy.
0: And I'm so intrigued by that, by that statement because a lot of the times when it comes to to gigging in Tejano. Um, you know, I'm an active musician, you're an active musician. Um, I mean the the difference is quite obvious just be, because of like the level of expertise, the level of you know knowability. Um, you know, who who do people know? And that yeah, I've noticed that like the same places are are kind of the the same spots that Tejano plays at. Now I usually typify that as as Dallas, Houston, San Antonio maybe El Paso, and then, of course, the Valley. Um, am I wrong in saying that those are the areas or there, or are there others that you have seen over time within Texas?
1: There's others. There's others. And and I'll tell you my markets, right? I, I just played the rodeo in Mercedes like three weeks ago, a month ago, something like that, like a month ago, I think. And uh, But I don't play a lot in the Valley, but it's still a market. I mean, we had the best night of the rodeo. So that was a, that was a good thing. I, we had the most, the best turnout, but I do Laredo. I do Laredo is a great market. I do El Paso. I do Dallas. I do Houston. I do Austin. I do San Antonio, West Texas. And once in a blue moon, I, that's not a strong market for me. However, it's a strong market for many other people that go to Abilene and go to Lubbock and go to, uh, I don't know, other places in West Texas. I'll go Midland, Odessa, but I don't go a lot.
0: And do you think that's because of the style of music that you play, that it, it will it will kind of define the areas that you can and can't go to as a touring musician in Texas?
1: To a certain degree, it is. But I'll, I'll be honest, Veronique, a lot of it is not working the market enough. Sometimes when, when you, if you grow too much, and, and I don't mean that in a, like, I'm trying to put it in the best terms of not being like, oh, look at me. No, no. But we charge a certain amount of money that some of those markets can't justify. Or better yet, there's not somebody willing to pay me what I what I need to make. Right.
0: OK, I can I can see that. I can see that. I can see what you're saying there, that it's just you're at this point of expertise of, of you know, marketability, ability, But the area cannot match the amount of money that you need to put on the show that you need to put on. Am I, am I understanding that? Correct.
1: That's correct. And and so if somebody comes and says, Hey, well, how much we want you for this event? Well, it's going to be this much. And a lot of times in those markets, maybe they're not used to paying that kind of money, you know, the promoters that are in that market. And so they'll say, no, they'll go for a cheaper option. They'll just take other people. And that's okay. I get it. Right. I mean, it's a business and, and, and everybody has to do what they have to do. So that's why some of those markets I may not visit very much, but I'm okay with that. I, 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 I'm okay with it because I know that when I go, there's going to be a level of expectation because they're not going to be burned out on seeing me. And so it is what it is. It's cool. And, you know, look, I've taken a, a route of my own. I, I, uh, I do things maybe just a little differently and my music is probably not a hundred percent Tejano as you would define it. You know, the other thing is, you know, the San Antonio sound is really different. Um, I'm a border guy and border music's a little bit more in tune with Mexico. So I have a market over there because of COVID that market is going really slow because they haven't been vaccinated. But, but I look forward to, you know, to, I had a gig this past month, and we're starting to quote gigs coming up in August, September, October, November, and and actually we have some gigs already tied down. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that, and then also looking forward to working over here. I like it, you know, I like working. I like working.
0: I think we all like working. <laughs> I think I think definitely we all like to work, but um, yeah. especially with COVID, I think that in some instances it was it was a blessing in disguise, and in other instances it was almost like a big stop sign, just right. Like you didn't even see it coming. It just boom. And going back to the other topic, something that you brought up that I thought was interesting that you're saying you're doing it your way, that it's not necessarily the Tejano that, you know, other people would classify as Tejano. So where do you classify yourself? I mean, if, if you were to, to make up a word for the type of music that you make or mash up um, genres, uh, just in case that, you know, there is a mashup that you have in your brain, how would you classify yourself?
1: I don't know. I I really don't. I, 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 when I uh, go record something, I, I, my approach is I just think about people that I see at my concerts and say, would they like it? It's just that simple. I am a very observant person when I'm on stage, I see everything. Now I don't see as good because, uh, I don't want to wear contacts and my vision is not as good, but but I still notice people and I like to see their reactions when I play certain songs. And that gives me a big blueprint for what's next. And whenever I record, I think about them. And that includes Mexicans. That includes sometimes Central Americans and definitely, most definitely includes Tejanos. And and there is a happy medium. It's very hard, though. I'm not going to lie, because. You know, sometimes the lines get crossed with regional Mexican and I've recorded stuff with a tuba and the freaking Tejano fans go crazy. How the hell you got a fucking tuba? Like they can't stand it, you know, and I, and, 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 and I get it right. I get it. That's that's not their taste. But because of my situation, I'm trying to kind of please everybody. And it becomes it's a challenge. It's a challenge to get in the studio. But that's the, that's the route that I chose to take and that's where I'm going to st- I'm going to die on that hill. And um and you know but it's honestly so
0: hilarious because I-, I find it always funny that like if you try to include any type of banda instrumentation in tejano it's almost like cats like cats in a bag you just go like this and they're like and so <laughs> they're ready to go and I- I- it's interesting because I've seen that I've seen you start recording or some of the the stuff that you've released has actually been more regional Mexican leaning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, is this based off of the kind of music um, that you listen to as like just on your, on your regular time or just songs that you've included in your set list that, you know, you're seeing people's reaction.
1: It's just that I just want to please the fans. I give them what I think they might like. I, I know my market and I know that I'm not going to please everybody and that's okay. And not everything that I do hits. I'll tell you something. We're in the home run business. If you don't hit a home run, it's not worth it. In order to hit a home run, you got to swing for the fences. And sometimes you're going to strike out a lot. And that's okay. I've had albums that don't do too well, uh, songs that don't do too well. And and I'm not ashamed to admit it. That's just a part of life. We are creating stuff for people. And I can't dictate whether they're going to like it or not. You know, uh, I hope they do. From a CD, I have one banger, right? One banger, one desvelado, one se murió de amor, one enseñame, one vanidosa. Songs that at my concerts, if I play them, everybody knows that song. Then it's worth it for me because I hit that one because that's going to give me longevity. That's all that I'm trying to do, right, is to just land some, the knockout blow. Sometimes I've landed them and a lot of times I don't. But I feel very proud and very happy that I've been able to still do what I love. And this is the only thing I do. I don't do ai don't have another gig. I live full time off of music. So I, I think that's a, that's pretty cool to be able to say this is, you know, my only job that I have. And and yeah, I haven't put out a lot of music recently. I, don't, I haven't been putting out that much music, but I've still been able to survive. And, and I have a very ample catalog that still allows me to tour.
0: Now, speaking about your music, what, and seeing as you have been in the industry for almost 30 years, which I'm not trying to date you here, but like, that's almost more than, that's like almost all my life, but (laughs) that's like all my life, but what made, what was the, the, the moment or the thing, or just what made you decide to pursue a career in music?
1: I got up, it was a concert in Houston. There was four artists at that concert. It was at, it, it was at the time, it was called The Summit, which is now the Toyota Center where the Rockets play. And Tejano at the time was banging and I was just a college student. And I'll never forget, it was uh, La Mafia, Selena, Emilio, and Roberto Pulido. Four artists, that's it. And the place was banging. It was uh, so many people. I'm not gonna lie. My dad invited me to get up on stage. I I used to sing in, in mariachi when I was in high school, because you know you gotta have a real natural love for the music if you're gonna do it, and, and I do. Have, you know I think I inherited that from dad and my mom's side. And I got musicians on both sides, but I like the attention from the girls, and that's why I said. <laughs> and so you're a young kid going to school, and you go this is cool, man. They're going crazy for me because at school, it wasn't like that, you know, but now all of a sudden you're on stage and you're singing. That's what, that's what really made me think like, Oh, it's pretty cool. Wow. Okay. So it was, it was at that
0: particular event. And has there ever been, you know, any, any criticism that's come from, you know, the fact that you come, as you say, you know, you're, you don't, you're just not nobody you you come from a a pioneer your your dad is a pioneer in the industry was there any ever any criticism that that came from that that just kind of was like like you know that rubbed you the wrong way or that you know you felt like hey you know what I'm having to to fight that extra fight on top of just being new is that oh you have to go above you know the person
1: behind you absolutely it was it was rough and I'm not complaining if there's, if there's one thing I've learned in this in this business is you have to have a thick skin. You cannot let shit bother you. My uncle, may he rest in peace, was my dad's accordion player, one time told me when I'd get up and sing, and, and he told me one time, I had some of my dad's fans actually tell me, you're never going to be like your dad. You're never going to make it like him. Yeah, there was criticism, but you can either cower or cry or complain or feel sorry for yourself or just say, well, I'm going to show you. And I remember telling one of my dad's fans, like, you know what, man, you're right. I'm never going to be like my dad because in my eyes, he's the number one and he'll always be. But that doesn't mean that I can't make a, a life from myself doing music. So it bothered me. Of course, you know, you're human, right? But but there is, it lights a fire under your ass to say, okay, I'm going to meet you. And I'll never forget, my uncle came one time, many years after that, to ask me for an autograph for some of his friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. What was your reaction? Well, no, I, I, I'm very respectful. I didn't really want to uh, be ugly about it, right? And I did. But I can't help but think that in my mind, uh, it was a, a big like, ah, yeah, right. You see, I sure showed you, didn't I? So, yeah, you know, you get a kind of a tip on your shoulder, you know, when you have something to prove.
0: And I'm but this is some some a bit of research that I had done about you that you had tied with Eddie Gonzalez for best new rising male Tejano artist in 1986 for the Tejano Music Awards. Do you recall that at all? <laughs> You're shrugging your shoulders.
1: <laughs> I don't. No. No. So, uh,
0: so, what is your what is your relationship with that then? You know, um, with you know, award shows or with with the awards, and whether it you know does it at this at this point in time does it mean anything in regards to your craft or are you just kind of at this point in your career it doesn't or did it at any point mean something?
1: Not really. I'll tell you this, but e- awards are great for the ego. And I'd be lying if I told you that it doesn't feel good to say I've won because nobody wants to say I lost because then you think, Oh, that was such a loser, but it doesn't. I mean, let's be honest. And award ceremonies sometimes are like the joke that I, uh, that I, a, lo- a joke that I heard a long time ago, that how do you know that there's a polock at, at the rooster fights? Um, And the the joke is he takes a duck to fight the roosters. And then the the second part of that joke is, and how do you know that the mob is there? And he says, the duck wins. (laughs) And uh, awards a lot of times are the duck wins. And that's just the way it is. So I don't put a lot of credence in in that to be real honest with you.
0: Quack, 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 quack.
1: Yeah, (laughs) quack, quack. (laughs)
0: Yeah, because i've always been intrigued by that because every every year i mean i'm sure you see it you're on social media just as much as i am we're both real nesio on oh don't start don't say you're not i see you on twitter way too much we're gonna
1: get into that here in a second i I want you to go check my tweets and see how far how far apart my tweets are bobby that's gonna be too much work (laughs) i promise you I use a lot less social media nowadays than I used to. I used to be very active on social media, like much more. But recently, I haven't been that active.
0: And is there is there a reason for that shift in, in social media usage?
1: Yeah, I want to live my life and uh, I have a family. I have I have a wife. I have kids. And, you know, that that's uh, sometimes can be a very big addiction, you know, I think everybody that's right now seeing this interview at some point in time, somebody's talking to you and you're like, "Uh, what? Excuse me. uh, What? Because you're looking at your phone or something like that. So I try to have a little bit more balance now than, than, than I did at one time when I was single, you know, I was single or, or, or I had a girlfriend I wasn't that happy with, you know, you go to your phone, <laughs> but, but um, <laughs> you're like,
0: where is the neck? Like, you know what? I am over this. <laughs> well, cause it's interesting because you, you are very vocal. I will say that, that, that is the one thing that I, that I will say about your, your usage is that when you use social media, one, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting contrast, um, because I'm the same way, you know, what you put on Facebook versus what you put on Twitter or what you put on is each is a, almost like a different aspect of yourself. And yeah. I've noticed that because like the, the Facebook, cause everyone and their mom and their grandma and their grandma's grandma has it. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit more like professional forward facing. You don't really have too much conversations about the chisme going on. You try to stick to, to the professional, but I have noticed that you aren't shy about being vocal on Twitter, which I do commend you for because there's so very few people who can be vocal and and say what they need to say. And I do know that during the last presidency, you were very, very vocal, the last person that was president. And I'm not going to give any names on here because I'm I'm not going to give them any side. But like, the point is, you were very vocal. Why did you feel moved to be that vocal, especially given technically the demographic of people that we serve that more often than not are ridiculously conservative?
1: Um, it, It's hard. I think I was vocal during his presidency and, and before he was actually president. Again, you can go back and check. I was approached by people in the Democratic camp to do commercials that they were going to pay me to do and I turned it down. And mind you, I absolutely hate Trump. (laughs) Hated him then, hate him now. But I see the polarization that's going on and the brainwashing in even family members and friends. And you can't have a uh, substantive conversation with people about policies without them getting so angry and riled up that I said, you know what? I'm just gonna stay out of that because I think I'm a very moderate person. I'm very even keeled. I don't lean right and I don't lean left. I think to many liberals, I'm too conservative on many issues and to many conservatives, I'm probably too liberal, which is just the way I like it, right? I think that I just said, I'm gonna stay out of it. And um, because you can't have a discussion with people, you know, uh, I remember having a discussion with somebody in in the family and talking about Bill Barr and his overreach uh, in the justice department and that person tells me who is a trumper right like well, who's bill Barr and I said, well this discussion's over because if you don't know who Bill Barr is then I I have nothing to discuss with you because your level of understanding isn't isn't what mine is you know it's, it's kind of like when you see the Jimmy Kimmel show or whatever, when they go ask people like, well, who's the vice president? They don't even know, you know, uh, when is America's independence celebrated? there's just there's just so many people out there that they really don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they think they're real smart. And so uh, I just choose not to engage. <laughs> so One I said, well, I'll just, just stay
0: reaction." Out. Yeah, no, I, and I completely understand. And and I'm not meaning to ask the question in regards to to politics, because uh, for me personally, you know, I'm I'm more of a, a social person. I, I follow the social issues that that mean something to me because I can research them. Those are the thi- like. It, there's just way too much going on all the time, and th- that's where I lean. And of course, you. I mean, I can already tell. You know, having this conversation with you that you try to research, you try to understand. What you're discussing, you're just not going to talk to talk. And that's why I say that the, it's interesting how you've used your social media in that sense to show that.
1: I was a political science major in college. I got an academic scholarship uh, to go to the University of St. Mary's. So I was a nerd. I grew up being a nerd. I, I, I made the dean's list in my final uh, semester that I dropped out to become a singer Um, so politics is something that I follow and, and, uh, and intrigue me really, it it does, but there's just, I just don't want to deal with it. You know, sometimes you just get hit on both sides. You know, I I think we we're too much of a woke culture, to be honest with you. And then I think that the other side has a bunch of crazies that think that Trump's still going to be president and just some crazy ass shit that, you know, uh, anti-vax, uh, man, there's just all kinds of stuff that
0: every single day, every single day, there's something new every single day. There is something new online, but I, I will say this, like just to, just to come back to, to that, that's interesting. So at any point, are you planning to finish up your degree? Has that ever crossed your mind, especially during the pandemic, you know, as, as some little like last, loose end or is that just something you want to just leave as an experience that you had?
1: yeah I, I i don't see it happening but i you know they say never say never so but i i don't see it happening i think that that um that that train failed. and 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 do i think that if i applied myself in that field that i could do well again like yeah sure you know and i, and I i'm not tr- i'm not trying to be cocky i just i i believe that i i, I believe that that i have the smarts still to be able to go and do well in college but that's not the path that was chosen for me and 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 uh you know my life has been governed by not sticking to a plan my life has been governed by follow the signs and then just go that way and you know if i see that there's something that's that's promising for me then well i'll try it out you know i've been bitten the ass too much by karma when you feel that something's going to happen and you have a plan and you, you, you think everything's going to work out the way you want it to work out. And, and I'm, I've learned that life's not like that, you know, life will throw you curveballs, and, you know, hell, I, I don't even have a plan for what I'm going to do in five years. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Then. What's going to, what's going to happen for me. I don't know. I have no idea.
0: Speaking of like, uh, because it's so interesting that you that you were a political science major and that was something that really interested you. And it's still something that you you kind of follow in a sense, instinctually. And you say you're a nerd. So I'm really curious if there are any hidden interests or talents that you have that maybe other like that's, you know, just no one else knows about. It's something that you enjoy. It's a it's an interest or a talent or something that you just are really into.
1: I have two things that I do really well. I, I play golf and I shoot. And those are my hobbies. When I say I shoot, you know, I, 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 I like to shoot competitive uh, precision rifle series. I like to shoot long range. I make my own bullets. I'm what you call a shooting nerd because it's all about physics and science. And, and, and I get a total kick out of shooting at steel plates. Uh, um, you know, I would, being a South Texas boy, I was raised a hunter. I hunted my first deer at the age of seven. I've been around the ranch life and all that, but I don't get a kick out of killing animals anymore. I, I like shooting steel plates and I don't judge anybody or nothing like that. And I'll occasionally, if if I if I want to some kind of meat, I'll hunt, but it's not like I did like one time, right? You go through phases and whatnot. And, and uh, but now I just prefer to shoot steel. I, I like that a lot.
0: And I will say I have, I've done a USPS, USPSA and I, I did it. I did it a few years back and that was cause I, w- I was wanting to learn and I was wanting to, cause I had friends of mine that were doing it at the time. And, and it was, oh, it was so interesting just to be able to understand that piece of machinery it, is something it's almost very respectful and you have to know what you're doing and you, you have to be able to understand how to clean it and how to how to work it. It's not just, Oh, you know what you see, which is, Oh, it's, it's a gun. If there's a little right. bit more to it. And, and I found it so interesting. And so what's one thing that you have learned through your competitions and through being, you know, a, uh, a gun nerd, as you say, or somebody that does it competitively as a competition, not so much as, you know, just, just a fly by night. You just bought it just to buy it. Cause there is a big difference. I feel yeah. between those two, those two mentalities,
1: I right? guess. <laughs> I think there should be fewer people that own guns.
0: Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Like, it's interesting. Once I was in competition, you'd know the difference between somebody that, yeah, they should. And yeah, yeah, there's people that just shouldn't. And it's, and you learn it there because they have such strict rules and they want everybody to be safe. And, and that was just something interesting. So I completely understand your sentiment. There's
1: some people that just no, you shouldn't have it. We have a problem. Right now. And, and 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 there's there's a big mental health crisis. And so there's a lot of people that that are getting these guns that shouldn't really do it. And uh, and um, it, it makes everybody that owns a gun bad, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking about this right now. And it's OK. You can post it. Right. But it, it's kind of it's kind of shitty because like I know I posted something with me shooting a gun and Despierta America got a hold of it and then i got so much anti gun hate mail that that's the other reason why i don't post so much of my personal stuff because everybody will criticize something there's just yeah. and and i have a thick skin it doesn't it's not that i can't live with the criticism or nothing but sometimes you just choose not to deal with the bullshit
0: it's an unending battle like somebody's going to find something like you could literally taking a picture of a sunset, somebody would get mad that you're, I don't know, sharing your joy, but that you shouldn't because other people are not joyful. Like you get what I'm saying?
1: I went fishing in Cancun and I posted pictures of me with my fish. And I actually had some people say, poor fish, how dare you? And it's just so fucking ridiculous. It just... It gets to the point where I just go, well, you know, I quit, man. (laughs) Like, you know, what now if I kill a mosquito like this, I'm going to go, poor mosquito. He had a life. He was a living being and he was, you know, and and there is a lack of common sense that goes around and lack of respect for what you may like to do something, whatever it may be. And if I don't understand it, I'm not going to criticize it because I don't understand it and you do. And that's your passion or whatever. And, you know, I just think as a society, if we became less judgmental about other people's things that we don't understand, social media would be a lot more pleasant because I, I could disagree with you, Veronique, on whatever, but I can disagree with you respectfully without insulting you and without you insulting me. And I could say, well, I, I come from a different perspective, and this is my way of looking at it. And if we had kind of that healthy conversation things would be a lot better because maybe you would enlighten me on some things and I would enlighten you on some things. And that, that's, you know, that we we don't have any of that right now. Uh, That's gone. That's out the window. There's so much, there's so much tribalism that if you're not in one camp, you know, and then the other camp and it's just. uh,
0: If you're not one extreme, then you're against another extreme.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, that's why I just go out to the rant. Forget
0: (laughs) you go out to the ranch and mind your business. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Now, speaking of Spanish news media, because you're saying, you know, the things that you like, things that you enjoy can get, you know, twisted and turned. And I've seen a few times where the Spanish news media has absolutely come after you over something. So one time it wasn't even you. They used your picture for something that it wasn't even you. And so how has your relationship? with the spanish news media changed from when you first began to engage with them at the height of your career when when you know people in mexico and, and everywhere you know they were they were really you were the hot item to this present time cuz there's a bit of a shift um i can imagine coming from like being what would at that time be called viral um you know constantly being in the paper con- like just constant news about you to you know not
1: like every single day what's bobby doing I think what's happened is that the social media has leveled the playing field. Look at what we're doing right now. You're not an official member of the media and you're interviewing me and you're asking me questions. I'm not going to lie. I turned down a lot of interviews, a lot. And especially I turned down, I, I do, I, I just say, no, I can't do it. I don't want to do it because here's the thing, you know, what, what makes those media outlets survive is scandal. Right. I'll never forget that when I when I first started, I had consultants and people in my camp and publicists and, well, we need a scandal. What do you mean? And, and I'll never forget. They told me, you know, uh, there's a famous Mexican actress that's willing to do this where they, they they we take pictures of you in the streets having dinner in Mexico so people can start talking about you and all the media will, will get it and your profile is going to increase. At the time, I said, well, I'm married. Well, yeah, yeah, but your wife's going to know that this was not. I go, no, I don't need. If, if my music is not going to stand the test of time, I'm not going to make my career on scandal. And just to be famous, fame doesn't put money in my pocket. It doesn't. My music does. I'm never going to lose sight of that. And they. They invented so much shit about me when I first started that I was gay, which I have nothing against gay people, but I'm not gay. And so when they say that you're something that you're not, it's kind of like, dude, like, really? And so there's been so many different rumors about me that aren't true.
0: Speaking of one of those rumors, which you did clarify recently, which I was really like, one, it was a rumor that I believed because as a kid, it was told to me. I mean, I was I was a kid when you came out and it was about the song Desvelado, that rumor about what the song was about. And I'm curious if, if that was something that that you were aware of or how did it start? How did it, how did that rumor even start that it was about Selena
1: when it wasn't? I have no idea how it started, but we're part of a lazy society. Society is getting more lazy by the day. That would be something that if you had believed that. You could easily have looked up, and I'm not calling you lazy, but sort of, sort of am. You're but
0: sort of calling me, la- calling seven-year-old Veronique lazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You're sort of
1: calling the seven-year-old who believed it for years lazy. <laughs> 16-year-old Veronique. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the rumor goes that Bobby Pulido wrote that song for Selena. And if you Google who wrote that song, the guy's name is Jorge Avena. So automatically, if you researched and took you like one minute of your time, you would find out and go, OK, well, that's bullshit now. Because you didn't write it. That, that's the first big sign. You didn't write it. I didn't write the song. So how can I say? I mean, how can it be said that I wrote the song? I didn't write the song. Now, mm-hmm. I think there goes some truth gets meshed in with myth because it says that the, the, the urban legend says I never met her. I knew her since we were kids, oh, and in this genre we grew up together. I mean, my dad at first she opened with Selena Lozinos opened up for my dad, and then later my dad opened up for her. And so I knew her since we were younger, and I had a crush on her. And so we'd see each other at the gigs, and hey, and hi, and hi, and, hi, and there was like a little bit of this and this when we were younger, but nothing ever materialized. And uh, later. She was with Chris and, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. I, I, I really like Chris a lot anyway.
0: Wait, 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 wait. So there was a, there was a podcast that came out. I don't know if you heard about it. It was called um, anything for Selena's no. and they did a special episode where they, they mentioned a gentleman that was, that was dating her supposedly, but they never mentioned a name. And obviously I'm not saying that that was you because obviously that wasn't, but the thing is, is that's how, that's how those, those types of rumors would start is that people would assume that because you guys knew each other as children, because from what I'm to understand, there was a, there was a good amount of kids that all knew each other in the industry. Shelly, Shelly, who was, who was a kid with her dad. And and I think the, Los Fricoles, I'm trying to remember the name of the band. I know I'm going to mess it up. Um, but, you know, with her dad and, and that group that was, you know, out and performing, she was a kid. I think she was seven or eight. You know, you're saying that, you know, you were with your dad there at that time, you know, How many kids were just part of the scene because of their parents that you were kind of aware of? Was that just normal just because of the environment? There wasn't a
1: lot. It wasn't a lot of us. There was some, but our genre never really was that. It was uh, the genre was not kid driven. It was adult driven. I mean, So how
0: do you feel about it now? Because now there has been a shift. To more children, more children under the age of fourteen, you know, coming into the business, putting out full albums, you know, as a parent, as I'm, um, as a parent, would you, would you even suggest something like that for your kid to put them into this type of industry at that young of an age?
1: Well, that depends. There's many factors. Look, if I had a kid that was a 15 year old and he was six foot seven and could dunk a basketball, well, I might consider putting him in basketball and taking him to camps and really uh, getting him recruited. So it depends. If you have a kid that has exceptional talent and the love for the music, why not? Because that's what they love. But to force a kid because you want them to be a star and you want them to make it, and well, I don't agree with that. I think you have to take it as a case-by-case basis, you know. Uh, my son, at, for about two minutes, wanted to be a singer. And then I took him over there on tour with me, got up on stage, and he says, I don't want to do this. And just flat-out said that. And I'm like, cool. I mean... It was a quick decision. It was quick. <laughs> that was a
0: quick, I'm on stage, nope, and then leaves. <laughs> He's like, I'm done.
1: <laughs> Especially now, it, it's tough. It's really rough. Um, you got to not just be a good singer. You got to be a good businessman or businesswoman. Um, you have to know how to self-promote. You have to have money to invest. There are so many, so many factors right now, To that if you want to get in, what it's going to take to make it. And talent is just a part of it. It's an important part, but it's only a part of it. There's so much more to it right now.
0: You know that little emoji, the little wallet with the little wings on it just flying away? That's me right now. I'm the advertiser. This is an ad for me. Veronique, go listen to my album. I have two out right now, Crying and La Novela off of Next Gen Latinx Records. All jokes aside, please go listen to the music on your favorite streaming platform or buy it online at VeroniqueMedrano.com. And I mean it. Go listen to it. So listen to it at your mom's house. Because I mean, if you don't listen to her, at least listen to me. And that's been your ad.: So if you could go back in time, given this, you know, everything that you know at this point, from all the years of experience that you've had, if you could go back and give yourself, you know, starting out, Bobby, advice on the business, what wisdom would you impart to yourself? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You would just let yourself go
1: in blind. Absolutely. Everything that's happened in my life and in my career happened for a reason. And I think it's any bad thing that might have happened hardens you. And it makes you wiser. I don't regret anything that I've, I've done many things that I wish I hadn't done. But even from the mistakes I've made, I've learned lessons. I, I will tell you this. If there's one thing that I would tell the early Bobby. is Take care of your money, because the early Bobby, I'll never forget an interview that with Will Smith. They interviewed him after he did the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And once that was over, he kind of went broke before he did movies. So there was a gap there where before he was a movie star, he was like he was a has-been as far as the Fresh Prince that was already gone. And he said that his dad told him, you know, he's like, dad, I'm broke. I don't have anything. He's like, well, son, you got five cars and you only got one ass. And I'll never forget that interview because it's so true. When I started doing well, I came into a a good amount of money and success. And I spent money like it was going out of style. And I kind of had a Will Smith thing. And I'll, I'll never forget. I was having a rough time and going like I went through all this money and I don't have shit to show for it. I was lucky enough to recover and have another hit and have a resurgence in my career that I was able to, to recover and I, and I did. And uh, that's probably the only thing that I wish I had known back in the day that I know now Because you never know. Look, we got hit with COVID and I survived okay. And it was tough. Because my main source of income is touring. And uh, if, if I didn't have a kitty and have be administrating my money correctly, I would have had a rough time. You know, like the famous rapper said, more money, more problems. You know, it's, it, it's, uh, that's something that's my lesson, life lesson for, from here forever.
0: And so you're talking about things that you, you know, things that you learned, mistakes that you made. Have there ever been any instances, given the type, given the fact that it is the entertainment and the music industry and you, there, these things do happen, but um, have there ever been any instances in which you felt you were put in a compromising or uncomfortable position while promoting the music or performing, you know, you know advances that you that you were not, you said no, but you know, that people were just people. And they feel like you're an object. And so you should just do what you're told or situations like that. Has there ever been a situation where you felt you were in a compromising position um, and you just didn't want to be there?
1: Sure. Of course. I'll never forget. One day I was in Toluca and I was uh, on tour with Limite, And I got a call from the editor of one of the biggest newspapers in Monterrey, the gossip newspapers. And the guy invited me to his hotel room. And he was gay. And I told him, no, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I'm resting for the show. And, you know, I tried to be nice about it, but it, it was very uncomfortable. And then when he got back to Monterrey from Toluca, wrote an article that I was making ojitos to my bodyguard, insinuating that I was gay. And he was mad because I didn't, uh, no lo pelea, you know, and uh, there's all types of stuff that you, that you see you know, that you don't want to do, but, but I chose this industry. I'm not complaining. It's part, it goes, it comes with the territory. People, people don't know a lot of what goes on. You know, I could write a book and you would freak out and people would freak out about maybe one day I will, you know, about all the things. I was
0: just about to say, so when, so when is this book coming out, Bobby? What's, what's, is the title yeah. going to be Desvelado? <laughs> That's all I'm Probably. saying. If it is. I well,
1: who knows like 1%. <laughs> who knows, I'm not sure, but we'll see.
0: We're we're coming up uh on the hour and I of course I I do thank you for your time. So we we, we just have two more things to to go over and uh and then we'll we'll of course let you get back with your family because I do know that uh that you're you're out there with them and, and
1: yeah. I got uh, dinner with my wife. She put my baby to sleep and so we're going to have dinner. There we go.
0: So I don't want to take up any much more of your time. I do thank you for that. So I am curious because, you, like you said, you know, I'm not I'm not part of the industry in, in the media industry. I'm just a fellow artist. And so um, why did you say yes to this interview to kind of being vulnerable in this way and, and talking about the things that you've talked about?
1: Because you're a new artist. That's why. A lot of times, I, I guess, us veterans get a lot of flack for not helping the newer ones or even get uh, contribute in any way I think that we need to help each other out when the industry is hard and hurting you kind of got to give people a shot in the arm and sometimes it, it could be doing an interview or sometimes it could be giving advice because you know you're outspoken and I've seen things and and you've said things that I disagree with and I go out and tell you no it's not like that and so you know if the best thing about advice is it's free and if my example can serve somebody in a, in a good way or enlighten them and help their life in some way, shape or form, why not? Right. I mean, it's one of those. It's kind of like paying it forward, I think, to a certain degree. And my story's still not written. I mean, I've, I'm an old fart, but I still got I can be a lot older.
0: I was just about to say you're not that old. <laughs> like, come on, you're not that bad.
1: I'm 48. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gray the beard already, but uh, you know, I'm not 68. So I still got some juice left in me. And, and uh, my dad's going to kick my ass when he hears that. I said that he's like, Hey, I'm 72. What do you mean? Like, but <laughs> <laughs> but That's why
0: I will say that, you know, um, our interactions, they can be, you know, I, I respect you. I respect you a lot because at the end of the day, Yes. Like we said at the beginning of the interview, we both come from very different experiences. And so some of the things that you say I don't agree with, but I do understand that it comes from a different mental. like It comes from a different set of experiences than mine. And, you know, I respect that. And I take I take the kernels of truth um, and take the kernels of, of wisdom that I feel applied to my experiences in my life. But one of the things that, yeah, I I will say that I agree with that sentiment that, you know, there is there's always a disconnect between those that are that are coming up versus those that are currently, you know, in the industry and and making a career for themselves. And it's always that transition. And you never know and you never know where you're at on it because it's always like a little tipping scale. But um, I do really appreciate the time that you take. To not only talk with me, but I'm sure with many other people who I'm sure, um, you know, you you take the time to speak with and and impart that wisdom to 142 characters, I guess, on Twitter is not enough to uh, to show that somebody's engaging with you and understanding what they're saying. Um, right. But it is. But it is. it It's still, at least for me, as, as the type of person that I am and taking this time with you, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about you as a person and I I hope that other people who get to listen to this episode understand that you know it's all about the delivery. You know, you guys everybody can disagree on on paths or 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 mental mental spaces but it's all about like hey, you know what if at the end of the day you're not trying to attack somebody and you're wanting to have a meaningful conversation, then you need to be open to that meaningful conversation.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And 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 look, I mean just know this: I've always said that I believe that that the industry if is healthy. I'm going to benefit from it, you know. Um, I don't want to be the guy leading the way. I don't. I've, I've been there so long. I would love for younger acts to get out and go. All right, man. Let us lead the way, and, and you know, you are where you are, and you have your place, and that's great. Um I, I, I hope that one day we can get to that point where the new artists just take this to the next level. I really do. I, I want that. Um, but there's things that, you know, me and you can disagree, but there are certain common denominators of facts that will never change.
0: Agreed. There's commonalities. And in the in the conversations that you and I have at the end of the day, there's things that are in common with everything that we say. Certain things may be outliers, but at the end of the day, there is one common thread in in what we discuss.
1: There is. There is. There is. And, and, you know, to me, it's real simple. It's always about the music. It's always been about the music and it will always be about the music.
0: There's a lot of things that at the end of the day, there's a common thread. And I've noticed that in our conversations that, yeah, we have two different ideas of of where the industry is going, but I think it's just our two different perspectives on it. I know for you, it's like, you know, it has to be the music, like the music has to hit, period. And I agree with that. I agree with that, but at the same token, because I, I am a female artist, I know that my my job is not just the music. It's been made very clear to me that, you know, there's a there's a sense of, how I need to carry myself um, because of my predecessors that I have to package myself a certain way, or at least be confident in in myself enough to push that package of myself, you know, how I dress and and how I present myself on stage that also combines with the music. At least for me as a woman, I've felt that I've seen that. Those have been discussions with me and different labels and then me independently. That I've, that I've had. But at the end of the day, I still agree, very much so, that it is still
1: very much about the music. I was friends with Jenny Rivera, right? I've known Jenny for many years. And Jenny was never thin. It was never a, a, a I, I can't sit here and say that she was like really big on her image. She was good at branding, she had a, a brand, and her brand was I'm a hurt woman uh that was her brand and her music reflected that brand. So I can go like Adele, when Adele came on the scene, um, it wasn't her physical thing. It was just she just sang badass and had badass music. And Lizzo came out, same thing. You know, and 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 in all different genres, there's not one way to skin a cat or one way to do it. And too often like if you've dealt with if you've dealt with uh labels that say it has to be a certain way and you got to look a certain way. Well, they're full of shit,
0: right? I mean, that's why I'm not there.
1: (laughs) I mean, let's just be clear. That's why I'm not there anymore. For example, there's there's labels that will say, hey, you got to look clean cut and you got to look flawless. And then I'll go, what about Willie Nelson? Like Willie Nelson's stick is kind of grungy. Looks like he hasn't taken a shower in three days and it works for him.
0: But I think it touches back on that one thing that you said, which was branding. Every single one of these people had a very, I, I feel like Lizzo and, and all these people, they had a very clear vision on their brand, which in essence is almost like, you know who you are and you're not going to change just because, you know, X, Y, Z person is popular. Right. And I think that that's the disconnect with the industry is at times
1: but what do they all have in common, even though they're branded differently? Good music. That's it. Banger music. That's it. Songs that last. And, and so us as artists, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, and be able to say, you know what? Maybe what I did wasn't good enough. And I've had to do that and go, man, because when you're recording a CD and you're recording a song or, or, or in a studio, you're hearing it 80 fucking times. And you think that it's the best thing because you've heard it 80 times, but fresh ears that, that hear it for the first time go, eh, well, all the work that you put into it, you might as well throw it away. You got You got to come with something else. And if that, because there's been songs that I've put out and I said, I, man, this is, I believe I have faith in this song. I think this song is going to, it's going to go take me to the moon. It's going (laughs) to take me to the moon. No. Right. And then nobody shares it. And the views are not big. And then I've had some that go through the roof. So what's what's the difference is that some things that I did work and it's okay to say, well, I recorded a CD and it didn't work. I'm going to have to probably change producers, change songwriters, change it up, because what's the definition of insanity?
0: Doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you're going to get the same result. Here you go. Or a different result. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So if it doesn't work, you say, OK, well, it didn't work. All right. Next. And that's the spirit that needs to happen.
0: So the spirit of insanity, the spirit of insanity is what you need to be in the music industry.
1: You might be right, especially this one,
0: especially this one. So I want to thank you so much, Bobby, for taking the time to, to sit with us on the Accordion to Me podcast. Um you guys can check out Bobby on all his social media pages. I'm going to give him the the spotlight to promote those at this time.
1: Bobby Pulido 425 on Twitter and on Instagram and then uh, look for the blue check mark on Facebook.
0: Well, thank you very much. And guys, please do not forget always live your life with puro amor, puro besos, puro tejano. Bye. Thank you for listening to Accordion to me. The team behind this week's episode includes mixing and editing by Juan Pablo Diaz, theme music by Rodrigo Montalvo, produced by Javi G from MD Media. In-person recordings were done at the Spotify studios and remotely through Riverside FM. Accordion to Me is distributed through Anchor and you can stream Accordion to Me wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host and executive producer, Veronique Medrano. Puro amor, puro besos, puro tex